From the Transverse Network, this is The Transgender Show, an interview program about gender discovery and self-acceptance. I'm your host, Emily. This week on the show is transgender community advocate, friend, and all-around badass, Katie. Hey, everyone. How are you doing today? <laughs> I am doing um, today pretty good. I've been, I've been off my hormones for a while, so I'm a little emotional, but today is actually a good day. So Awesome. I've been excited about tonight, to be honest. Yeah. <laughs> Very happy to be here. This is great. Let's get into yeah. your story. Um, let's start out with the easy one for the record. How do you identify? I identify as a transgender woman. Um, my pronouns are she, they, and the they has been more recent um, because I've been experiencing what I call a gender disassociation. I don't know what the actual term, I don't know, that might actually be what it's called, I don't know. Hmm. But it's moments where I've just kind of been sitting and, and I, I will just kind of like come to and realize, be like, I've been existing genderlessly for like 45 minutes, just existing in this world. There's no gender, it's just nothing in particular. And it's been a weird like, this is kind of new. So slowly I've been kind of asking people to use they every once in a while and they did. And I realized like it works. So um, I identify as a woman. I'm a trans woman. Okay. But pronouns are she, they. Because sometimes, like maybe like 10%, I'm just nothing. Hmm. You're reserving just the right to, to just be, to just be. Oh, that's it. I reserve the right to just be. Oh my God, that's really good. That's what I'm going to go with. 90% of the time I'm a woman, 10% of the time I deserve the right to just be. I love that. I love that sentiment for all of us. That's a great thing for yeah, us to adapt. Yeah, that's really good. I think I have to write that down. <laughs> I'm a sucker for quotes. I like, good, uh, I like a good, feel-good quote, and that's a really good one. Mm -hmm. Then jumping <laughs> into your actual story, I'd like to start with my favorite question, which is, how did you choose your name? Okay, so back before my transition, I referred to it as when I was undercover. So if I just like randomly throw like back when I was undercover and it sounds out of place, that's what's going on. Hmm. Um, back when I was undercover, uh, one of my friends who I've known for a great many years, um, I had a, I had a lot of anxiety and it got to the point that it was so bad that like, I couldn't tell sometimes if it was me having these thoughts or my anxiety was causing me to have these thoughts. So we named my anxiety Todd because in my head, Todd was like, the douchiest dude bro fraternity guy name. And I was like, my anxiety is being like really shitty. You're being like kind of a douche bro right now, right? <laughs> so I was like, I name it Todd. And so anytime I'd be like, hey, I don't know if this is, like if you're ignoring me or if Todd is making me think that. And so it kind of came a point where like I could ask in a sense that didn't make it feel like I was being all needy and weird. But they knew I was asking because of my anxiety, like everyone around me, even my, uh, my best friend, my wife, my ex-wife. Well, after... I started um, smoking medical marijuana because it became legal in Oklahoma. My anxiety just like, just disappeared. Like it was just like uh, all but went away. Hmm. And uh, this is before I noticed what was going on. But I was joking with my friend Nikki. I was telling them, I said, it's weird because my brain, like Todd has like been evicted. Like he's gone. But he's been replaced. And this is before I knew I was trans, before I was even gender fluid, before anything. This was still when I thought, like, I was a guy, right? Mm -hmm. And I would joke, though, because uh, they and I were, like, always in big groups together. And it was like, we were the basic white bitches. Like, even whenever I was a guy, I was a basic bitch because I like pumpkin lattes, spice shit. You know, like, that was the whole thing. So uh, I told them, I said, you know, it's like my brain has been replaced by, like, this girl who just like graduated high school and she went off to college and she's going to discover who she is and blah, blah, blah. And her name is of course, Caitlin or something. And, right. And I went with this whole big joke. And so we just went with it. 
And it never got brought up again. But then after I transitioned, I was like, whoa, wait. Like, how did I know? Like, my brain knew right then. That was when my brain was like, look, I'm trying to fucking tell you right now. <laughs> and it still took me like six months before I was like, oh, hold on. So when I finally chose my name, I thought, what better name than the one that my brain used as a joke to be like, look, I'm, I'm trying to fucking tell you. So I went with Caitlin. But my original, my dead name, my original middle name was Lynn, like L-Y-N-N. -N. Uh -huh. So I thought, why not Kate L-Y-N-N? So Caitlin. So I still incorporated a part of who I used to be because it was a family thing. And my mom really um, wanted me to have that middle name. And so I kind of kept it around. Just put it in my first thing. That's it. That's a great story. And I love, um, yeah, I love the fact that we get to, that's why I love this question, is we get to choose our identity. We get to choose how we represent ourselves. You know, we've, um, people who are, who get to live in their true gender their whole life. Like it just develops slowly over time. And it's like this kind of quick change process. Uh, we go through a, a, a second puberty and all these things. And so, you know, th those, those things that you get to choose to own your own identity are wonderful. And I love the, the stories behind it. That's why it's one of my favorite questions. I even espouse the um, benefits to cisgender people. Like one of the people who is in the chat here, um, chaotic neutral, um, she, like today was talking about how like she kind of had expressed interest in changing her name for no other reason than just changing her name. Mm -hmm. And I thought that's great because like I always told my kids like, you know, like me and me and my best friend have always told our kids that the name that we gave you was a gift. Like I got this from somewhere, I don't remember where, but it was like a, a quote somewhere, but it was like the name that we gave you was a gift. Like if you want to keep it, that's great, but you're not expected to keep it. If you want to choose your own identity, you do that. Like I gave it to you because it meant something to me. If it means nothing to you, then find something that means something to you. So, uh, so I'm, I tell even cisgender people like, don't just stick with your name. If you want to, if you be you, pick your, pick your name. Like, you know who you are. So you mentioned that conversation where you threw out the um, the Caitlin name and and you ha you had that joke and then it took a while before you realized that you were trans and that that name was going to be the one that would fit for you. What was it in that process in that time period that brought about the realization that you were trans? How did you come to that? And how then you know after that how did you learn to accept that? So that was kind of a tiered step process. Um, the first, like, I started uh, after my after my anxiety was gone, and I had kind of like started exploring, like, like, oh, there's so much. My brain can like focus on so many different things now. Like, once the anxiety was gone, I could focus on all sorts of different things about who I am. And one of them, I started thinking, like, I had met this girl Angie, and um, I remember she came through the door. Like, it was my friends were having a, a wedding at my house, and they were having a friend officiate and all that stuff. But it was like a Halloween wedding, so we were all dressed up. And Angie had come in dressed in as like the ref this referee with like a short skirt. And it was the first time in my life that I saw a woman and I didn't say in my head, I was like, my head was like, I want to be her. And then I stopped. I'm like, no, I want to be with her. No, wait, no, I want to be her. Mm -hmm. And then I kind of like, I'm like, no, what the fuck is happening right now? Like what is happening right now? And so because of that, I went through this, like I was gender fluid phase of like, like, okay, so, like, there's days that I feel very feminine. There's days that I feel very masculine. And then it just kind of turned into, like, a lot more days of feeling very feminine. Until uh, 
one day I was, uh, my, my best friend at the time, like she was having a hard time with all of it. And I get it because she's not attracted to women. And so feminine presenting uh, people, she was not very like, she's like, you know, on the days that you're like looking, presenting feminine, you know, I don't want, I don't feel very attracted to you. And I was like, okay, I get it, you know? And so I started getting to like, well, now we're going to get divorced. Like, so I'm just going to stop. And so I went like three days without presenting feminine in any manner. I went to work every day, like with my you know, guy's clothes on, you know. And it was a Friday. And I just remember thinking like, I don't want to kill myself, but maybe if I'm driving home and someone just like drives the car into me and I died, it wouldn't be so bad. And so I started kind of just like having this like, this weird reminiscing type of moment where I went through my photos on my phone and I saw a picture of me like a week earlier where I had like done hair all over and my makeup was done. And I had this nice, like the Slytherin tie kind of thing going on. And I looked so pretty. And I just started crying at my work desk. I'm like, oh, hold on. No, I see what's happening here. Like, I can't go back now. And that was the moment that I realized I was a woman. The next day, on that Saturday, I was laying in bed with my best friend. Like, she, like, we were so many times. She had her head on my chest, and my heart was just like, was racing so fast. I'm like, I have to say something. I have to say something. I have to say something. And she could feel it. She goes, she sat up. She goes, What's wrong? Because we'd been together at this point. Like, we, we've known each other for this point, like 11 years, 10 years. We're going in 11 years. And so she knows me. And so she was like, She lifted her head, looked at me, and goes, What's wrong? And I, I could have totally handled this better, but I just blurted out. I was like, I'm a woman. And it was quite a, uh, it was quite a thing. We both could have handled it differently. I probably could have told her differently. Mm-hmm. And the way she reacted could have been differently. But ultimately, I think that we got everything we needed to cathartically and primally and raging out of the way. And now we are like the best friends. Like we're still, I still consider her my soulmate just She's actually, because of this, I've learned that I don't think soulmate means romantic. I think a soulmate can be someone platonic. And I think that that's what she and I were supposed to have been this entire time. And I think that it works. Like, we, we parent well together. We have wonderful kids. She's a wonderful human being. And I couldn't ask for a better friend, you know? You know, we talked previously about that point where you um, came out and then you, could, you can see the, the breadcrumbs, the trail of it before from your past what were some of those things that you were able to trace back to your youth that um should have been clues earlier oh oh god this is where i'm about to get in trouble (laughs) um when i was a little girl and i would say it like that way because i've always been a girl and i know a lot of people like you know oh so when you were a little boy i'm like no i was never a boy i was just always a little girl but and that's the problem is that I needed to be a little girl. I needed to play with the dolls. I needed to have the cute clothing. I needed to have the moments of being able to be vulnerable in a toxically masculine world where I could cry without being told girls cry, like boys don't cry. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, just all those things that every time I act, like if I wanted, my parents used to like, as a joke to make us like freak out tell me and my brother that they were going to buy us Barbie dolls for Christmas because y'all are not acting like boys. And it would be, but I just remember thinking like, okay, so buy me the Barbie dolls. And they never would. And I like, so it's things like that that I'm like, look, like 
you know, I used to play with my Ninja Turtles. I used to get He-Man and Ninja Turtles and G.I. Joes. And my sister would get all the Barbies. And so we would play together. I would get to play with, like, the boys' toys. But I was playing, more or less, I was playing house with my sister playing Barbie. Every time it just seems like I tried to express, like, my feminine, my girly side, you know. And I'm sorry for anyone watching. This is about to get violent. But, like, I would get a beat out of me. You know, it was it was not a fun childhood. I mean, it was a very toxically masculine environment growing up. Very much so. To the point that, and I know that everyone thinks I'm always joking when I say this, but I got in trouble one time. I got punched in the gut for folding my pants like a woman. And you're thinking, how do you fold your pants like a woman? How does a woman fold her pants? Yeah. Well, I should have brought up hair with me. But, so you know how you have your back pockets? If you fold the back pockets to touch each other, that's how a man folds his pants. Because it makes the crotch stick out so that your junk has place to go. Okay. If you fold the front pockets together, you're pulling the front pocket backwards, which you're hiding all the pocket because a woman doesn't have junk, so you don't fold your pants that way. Shit like that. Oh. The, like, I was told that basically being a woman, being a girl, being female was wrong, was a bad thing. And so I just, you know, I just hid it. And so... It's, it's little things like that that I look back on that I'm like, you know, I tried to fucking say something. And my mom, I mean, she never beat me. My mom never beat me. Um, okay, that's about to be a weird conversation. My mom never hit me, ever once. Um, she bought me a doll whenever I was two. And I remember a lot of pictures growing up where I feel like the trade-off for me getting a doll was that my dad also bought me a like this weird plastic belt of like six shooter guns? Like, oh, if she's gonna get a doll, she's also getting some guns because guns are manly. And I'm like, fucking really? Like, you know, it's it's so it's my dad was very um, my dad was very uh, the big driver, I think, mostly in how I ended up um, hiding who I was for so long. Mm-hmm. After I transitioned, um, he and I tried to reconnect because up until the age of fifteen. He, Actually, he stopped beating me when I was 13 because my brother stood up to him finally. But at 15, he kicked us out of the house and I moved in with my mom. And we stopped talking pretty much after that. But I had a therapy session where I kind of had an insight into some stuff about like maybe what he was experiencing. So I contacted him. We got to go to know each other again. Uh, We bonded over knives and blacksmithing and things like that. Hmm. And then uh, after our transition, I came to him. I was like, hey, I just want to let you know, like, this is what's going on. Haven't heard from him once. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of like, like okay, so it was that you were like beating it out of me all those years. And then whenever it didn't work, you don't want anything to do with me anymore. Yeah. And I know like my sister uh, will tell me like, you know, oh, well, you know how dad is. He doesn't like to talk to people. It's like, but we talked for a long time. And I know that he calls y'all at least once every other day and talks for a few hours to you. He won't even call me. So it's it's one of those like again where I've just kind of created my own family. You know, I was like, hey, if if my blood family doesn't want me, I'll make my own family, and I did. Yeah. And now we're we're a huge family. I honestly I don't know that I would put any of my like hiding this on my mom. I think by the time I'd hidden all this, like my dad had done plenty of the work. Um, I don't really think my mom knew how to handle. Uh, all the trauma that I had built up from my dad because whenever they got divorced I was I think seven and I chose to live with my dad because my brother went to live with my dad and I wanted to be wherever my brother was yeah and so 
she never really contributed to the physical or like you know hiding myself trauma like she and i have a whole different set of traumas together i'm sure <clears throat> um i did i mean i did have an incident after i came out uh she and i had a moment where uh god it's a long story if i get into that we had had a moment where we were talking about politics and i know that she probably says this to her friends i've never heard it but she had looked at me we were talking about like you know the like biden had won the presidency for the democrats and so we were looking at vice presidents and i was like hey it should be one woman of color and she was like it just needs to be a woman and i was like no i think it needs to be a woman of color because now like we need to be starting like really look into like intersectionality we need to start looking into like representation it matters it really does and we kind of got back and forth on it and got heated and i remember her looking at me and saying well as a woman i think that blah 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 blah, blah. and i just thought like well wait a minute what do you mean as a woman because as a woman myself it seems really weird that you single out the womanhood part since two women are talking and it just kind of fucked with me for a little bit and so in that moment even though i was like you gotta go like you're off my porch you gotta go and I think ever since we've kind of had like a bit of a strained relationship, yeah. like I don't think that my mom is, I don't think that she was being like purposely exclusionary or making me feel excluded. And I think it's just a lot of like relearning language. Like I, even as a, as a, as a trans person, um, as a trans woman, uh, a couple of weeks ago, I started watching a lot of uh, non-binary creators on TikTok. And it occurred to me that, I have the privilege of being a woman. I'm binary. I don't have to introduce myself with my pronouns, generally. But non-binary people do, but they never know if they're allowed to do it safely because where they might be when they say that, someone might react negatively. And it occurs to me, someone had said, I wish I could remember who said it, they said, if other people would introduce themselves with their pronouns, whether they be binary or cisgender or transgender or binary, whatever, <clears throat> um, it would help us know if we're safe. So I've started doing that. So it's a, it is a matter of relearning what we already think we know and i'm learning every day so now when i introduce myself i say hey my name is caitlin my pronouns are she they mm -hmm. and anyone listening in the area knows hey i'm safe coming out with my pronouns to be non-binary with her we're good yeah so i know that uh just as i'm learning things i know that my family is also learning things and i know that all of the families of the people watching if you're watching right now and things are shitty they're learning too, and it is a learning process. And maybe, maybe I have been a little bit harsh on my family. Maybe we need to sit down and be like, okay, this meeting is about just us sitting down and coming to terms with you have a daughter, you have a sister now. Like that's that's what it is. Because we never, we've never said, I came out and that was it. Like there was never a discussion about anything. It was kind of like, okay, well, we're good. I think maybe we need to sit down and be like, hey, can we all come to an understanding on this? Mm -hmm. Yeah, and, and that can be a, a great thing to do in a conversation like that is to say, hey, I, I'm I'm doing some self-assessment. You know, it's so it, we're built to think for think about ourselves. Like that's how it is. We think of us first, and that's our perspective, and that's what we know. And and you know, especially when we when we come out as trans, there's so much that that we're changing about ourselves. Are we're hyper focused. And so it's, it's, it's really easy to, to lose the perspective of like, you know, okay, the things I'm saying, the thing, the way I'm saying them is affecting you in a way that I'm not perceiving because like, I'm super focused on me right now. And, you know, I think starting a conversation and saying, 
hey, I'm, I'm trying to take a look at how I've been in this situation and how I can help you more. So let's open that dialogue. All right, Diane Sawyer, calm down. <laughs> God damn, like, what the hell was that? Are you know. cut right to the core there, GZC. That was good. <laughs> uh, shit, you're right. You're really good. I'm gonna, have to, I'm gonna have to contact my family, I think. I'm gonna have to contact me. Look, we need to just have this talk. We need to just sit down and raw dog this conversation. Just go. <laughs> We're gonna have it. We've talked about your family and how coming out to them was for the most part. Is there anything else about that that you wanted to, to dive into um, or, or, or to bring out? Now that I'm looking at under a different lens of things you've said, it's my answers are kind of different now. I mean, it I mean, it really, like, I do feel very, like, excluded from a lot of things. I don't get invited to family events. Like, my brother recently had a birthday. He turned, you know, 45. And the whole family went. I had to find out through my best friend. Mm -hmm. And it was just kind of like, that hurts, you know, like, even if you think I'm going to say no, like, it's still, you know, I just came out a while back. And since then, the conversation between everyone and myself has been very minimal. So when everyone in the family gets together and does a family event, but I'm not invited, it seems very, like, message loud and clear. And I don't know if they're doing it on purpose or if it is, like, a subconscious thing. But either way, like... I haven't been, um, my mom had a birthday last year and everyone got invited, even my ex-wife and I wasn't invited. I found out after she came back, she's like, so why didn't you want to go to your mom's birthday party? And I was like, do what? She goes, that's what this was. It was your mom's birthday party. There was cake, there was candles, everything. And I was just like, what? I mean, I, this is after I transitioned. So it was kind of like a, wait, why wasn't I invited to my mom? Why was my ex-wife invited to my mom's birthday party, but I was not invited to my mom's birthday party. I tried to bring that up and I got met with, you know, well, you did some things that really like hurt me as well. And it turns out that all things I did to hurt these people were like when I was 15 years old. And I thought, that's really shitty for you to hold me accountable things I did when I was 15 now. Mm -hmm. Like I'm fucking 40 at this point, you know? Like 25 years later, you're still gonna be like, you did something 25 years ago when your brain wasn't fully developed. And it just seems like, I think we're trying to like, you know, split hairs at this point. You're trying to like find a reason to be mad at me for being felt like I was excluded from some stuff. That's honestly why I started my entire TikTok channel was because I know that I was going through a lot. And I thought if I just document what I'm going through, maybe other people who are going through the same thing or similar stuff can be like, hey, I'm not alone. Like, and that's been my, my thing forever. Even before I transitioned, I, um, I got, I got retired from the military um, through medical retirement for major depressive disorder with generalized anxiety. And I always thought, like, it seems weird that we make such a big stigma about uh, depression and about anxiety, about mental illness. And so I've always lived like, to be as open about all of me as possible to make it destigmatized to others to be like, oh, well, she has depression. It's okay. Like... And she seems okay. She has her moments, but it's not bad. So that kid has kind of carried on once I transitioned and once things like that happened, I started being like, well, if I'm going to be me and be open about it to try to make it normalized, I have to just be me in every aspect. I want to make sure that everyone else knows that they're not alone. Like if you're neurodivergent, if you're LGBTQ community, if you have mental illness, you know, if you like have PTSD, if, if there's anything that you have going on, like you're not alone. And so... 
I want to make sure others knew that at least I was there, if nothing else. <laughs> another area, another area that is really daunting for a lot of trans people is work. You know, fear of losing their job and their livelihood and all of that. How did coming out at work go for you? I know you had some some wins and some losses. If we're going off of wins losses, ninety five percent win, five percent microtransaction, micro microtransaction. Talking <laughs> about game, microaggression. God. Five percent microaggressions, <clears throat> because. No one has come out and like given me crap about being trans. As a matter of fact, a lot of people have come and celebrated it with me. Luckily, started my transition right around the time that we were quarantined. So I kind of got to grow into being Caitlin, more or less in private. So I kind of have that privilege of like being re reintroduced into the world as who I am. But there are like when I first came out, um, it was at work. We had, a, we had a work meeting, a team meeting. And I told my boss, I said, Dave, hey. Um, up at that point, like I said, I was very uh, gender fluid. So there were days I was wearing skirts. There was days I was, you know, being very feminine presenting. But I saw, like, even then I had, like, a beard and all this stuff. And I said, Dave, at the end of our team meeting today, is it okay if I talk to everybody about some stuff that's very personal to me? And Dave, uh, one of the greatest bosses I could have ever had, uh, he was like, absolutely. After the meeting, the floor was yours. And so we went in there, we had this big meeting, and I remember I sat at the head of the table because I was like, I'm going to be dramatic because I'm a dramatic bitch. I'm... <laughs> so when it's all said and done, I'm like, hey, I got something I got to tell everybody. And it is that I am a woman. And... Everyone just kind of was like, okay, that's great, right? And it went around, it went around the table. Everyone was like, oh, well, you know, congratulations. Thank you for letting us know, right? And it got to Craig, <laughs> who is the whitest, straightest, cisgenderist man you have ever met in your entire life. Which is funny that I say that because when it got around to the table, he got to him and he was like, about time <laughs> and i was like what do you mean he goes i kind of figured you're a woman this entire time once you wore the skirt the first time i thought nah something's not up here you're a woman and i was like oh craig like and he goes i just kind of let you go with it <laughs> so it's been mostly positive but there are moments where uh i work with a guy who is very much um bigger than me and could easily physically overpower me in every sense of the pain. Like just, he would, he would, he would twist my head off my body. Um, he also carries a firearm every day, not into work because that can't carry it in the building, but he carries it to his car, and that's it. Um, before we got in quarantine, he and I actually were we would go out to lunch on a regular basis. But after I came out, he stopped talking to me. And one day I remember getting on the elevator, and it was just me. And he came up to the elevator doors and they were open. And he goes, I'll catch the next one. And as I got to the elevator and got to the top, because we have six floors, I was like, oh, he's going to catch the next one because he doesn't want to be in here with me. He and I kind of had like a meeting in the parking lot situation where he had everything he needed out of his car. He was walking confidently toward the door. But as soon as he saw that I was also walking toward the door, he suddenly like, oh, I need to see if I have things missing in my pockets. And he delayed himself so much that he wouldn't be on the elevator with me. And it's 
a moment of like, well, good. I don't want you on the elevator with me either. But it's also a very scary moment of like, in Oklahoma, the transpanic defense is still on the table. If for some reason we get the elevator and he wants to be like, oh, she made a pass at me and I panic and snapped her neck, he might get a reduced, he might get off completely, but he's probably going to get a reduced sentence because it's Oklahoma. Mm-hmm. So it's small microaggressions that kind of lead to like very panicky moments of, you know, am I safe here? But overall, it's been very, it's been very receptive and very good in my work. What was your first experience, though, trying to find community as you realized as the pieces started to come together that you were trans? I joined a group, uh, transgender in Oklahoma. And I, I belong to a lot of, um, a lot of the groups I belong to are very um, inclusive in the first place. I, um, it's, it's hard to explain growing up in Oklahoma. Because it's a very red religious state. Like, I always tell everyone, like, we're the belt buckle of the Bible belt. Mm-hmm. So it was very hard to find people who I could also be like, hey, I'm me with you, and you're okay with it, and you're not going to, like, hunt me down and kill me or anything. Um, <clears throat> so a lot of that started with a lot of the atheist groups. I mean, because I'm, I'm an atheist. But so that's kind of where you find out. That's where I first experienced a lot of inclusive community is because atheists – are very in Oklahoma are very outcast. And so they're very like, we'll take anybody. Okay. And so from there, I kind of found out a few groups for uh, transgender and gender nonconforming people. And the one I joined was transgender in Oklahoma. And it served me well for the time. I ran into a lot. It turns out that they let a lot of cis people have a lot of big opinions in that group. And I was like, I, I can't be part of this. So I started my own group. But ultimately, that was where I kind of found other people and uh through that i found um the va my local va had a transgender group called transitions it was it was huge because i found out that i had a lot of resources available to me for getting on hormones for getting laser hair treatment for all of these things that i normally probably would not have been able to afford but the va because as a veteran um and retired i was entitled to these things and so it's been it kind of opened doors for things, and I went from there being like, well, there's, a lot of not, there's not a lot of information out there. And as a trans woman, I have a lot of lived experiences, so that has kind of evolved into, like, that's how I became my own social media presence of, like, I want to be there for other people, and I want to start my own education of, you know, this is how it is. Mm-hmm. A lot of our education comes from cis people who are speaking on behalf of us. And I think that it's time that we spoke on behalf of us, you know, like don't let like the LGBT, like we don't need to let the other letters like speak on our behalf. Someone asked me in a live today, they said, how many genders are there? And I said, infinite. Because at this point I've, it's again, I've had to unpack a lot of the things and unlearn a lot of things. Like even with the instance of like, now my pronouns are she, they, it's a very like evolving. We're learning how humans behave and, so many years within non-binary there's infinite what does transition look like for you this is a sort of a more ethereal question but you know what is what does transition mean to you so i know a lot of people say that they're in transition um and i know that means so many things for so many different people because to me there's two different ways of looking at transition one is once you've decided once you've said hey I am not the gender I was given at birth. You've transitioned. You're done. But 
there is also a physical aspect to that that a lot of people like myself also need to finish up before I think that I can say like I'm fully transitioned, if that makes sense. Like I've I'm transitioned. I've transitioned. Mm-hmm. I'm a woman. I came out and said, hey, this is good. But as far as like my my like being done, the only thing I'm waiting on is my bottom surgery. Mm-hmm. Uh the princess wand being turned into a cave. Because there's a lot there's a lot of trans women, a lot of trans men, a lot of non-binary people who are like, we don't need any kind of modifications to our body. This is we're good with what we have. So once they say like, hey, I'm good, I'm a different gender, their their transition is done. And I think that's kind of how it is with everybody. It's just there's an extra step for some of us, like myself. So to me, it looks like once I get the the bottom surgery, I'm done. Like I'm I'm happy with the results that I've gotten from my hormones for upper area. Um, I'm happy with the way my skin is, the way that my body is, other than the princess wand needing to be inverted. <laughs> As Miss Walla, uh, trans woman extraordinaire, says, uh, it's going to be the most aggressive tuck I've ever performed. Yeah. It's, it's an aggressive Ma- tuck, Walla. and this time it's going to stay in place. Right. Mar- Maria Willis, that's her name. Maria Willis, trans woman extraordinaire. And she, she one day made a video, and she's like, because she has her surgery coming up in December. I'm so excited for her. And when she made the video, she's like, I've been scheduled to perform the most aggressive tuck I will ever perform. And I just remember thinking, that's such a good way to fucking phrase it. Have your goals for transition shifted as you've moved through it? Or was this always where you were focused on, on ending up? Um, honestly, this is all happening faster than I initially imagined it being. Uh, I thought it was going to be like 10 years down the line, like this will all be done. It's been within the span of two years. So it has been an evolving, but mostly quicker evolving. Because whereas I thought like, okay, I'll start the hormones. That would be like a good three years. And then after you get that, then I can do this. And I can get like, you know, top surgery stuff. And then once that's done, I get the bottom surgery stuff. So to me, it was like a 10-year plan. And the fact that it happened within two years. And I know that that's fast. I know a lot of... um, Trans women don't have the privilege I do. I know I'm very privileged as far as like my benefits from the VA and getting a lot of this done and the job I have and the insurance I'm able to procure. But it did happen much faster than I imagined it happening. So let's dive into a little bit about GCS. Um, what, where did you start when you, when you realized, okay, I, I want to move towards GCS. What were your first steps? So I know through my job, like I knew I have TRICARE um, through the military for being retired. I will have that forever. But currently they don't provide coverage for any kind of gender confirmation surgeries of any kind. Okay. Although weirdly enough, they do cover um, cosmetic surgery for cis women who have... Um, self-esteem issues through their, like, you know, diagnosed self-esteem issues to get, like, top surgery, that's covered. Which seems a little unfair to me because, yeah. you know, what's the difference? But um, I knew they weren't going to cover it. So I looked into Blue Shields, which is who I have through my job. And it turns out that in 2020, they changed their policy to cover gender confirmation surgeries. Because initially I had started a GoFundMe because I was like, I'm, gonna, I'm just, I'm just going to see if I can get help 
funding the entire $30,000 worth of surgery. And um, partway through fundraising, I got like I got to like $1,000. And so I contacted my Blue Cross Blue Shields because I saw a thing on a website and I contacted them. I said, hey, do y'all cover this? And they said, yes. And it just kind of went quickly from there. Um, I ended up, they said, who do you want to go to? And I looked up a bunch of doctors. And I said, uh, I just went on to Google and I said, doctors that take Blue Cross Blue Shields of Oklahoma who also perform gender confirmation surgery. Like that was literally my search. And I just came with this big list of just shit. And I just started cycling through it until I found a doctor that I felt comfortable with. And it turns out it was Dr. Doolin down in Plano, Texas. He is out of the International uh, Institute for Transgender Care, which is stationed inside of the International Institute for Plastic Surgery. But their whole goal, their whole goal is not just the surgical portion of it, but they also provide the mental, the emotional, um, they provide classes for like uh, more feminine behaviors or helping with vocal training. That, so, but their whole goal is they want to become like the central location for where can you go if you're a doctor and you want to know about, I have a transgender patient, what do I do? And I thought that's really great. And so I went to Dr. Doolin. Uh, the results I saw online for his work were really great. Now, of course, they provide their own pictures, so they're always going to provide the best ones. Yeah. But it turns out, uh, just through serendipity, um, that on TikTok, I had come across two different trans men who had gotten surgery from Dr. Doolin, who had made some videos where they're topless. And I just remember seeing, like, there was no scars. Like, these trans men had top surgery, and there was, like, no visible scar tissue whatsoever and that was the moment that i thought he can provide all the great pictures he wants but seeing two actual patients with no scarring was enough for me to be like okay i feel like i'm in good hands so in seven days i'm going to go have dr julian perform my tuck what has the emotional journey been for you there um you know have you have you had a lot of fear about that? Have you had any trepidation? In my lifetime, I have tried to kill myself twice. Aggressively tried to kill myself twice. I got caught both times, luckily, and was able to get help that I needed. So at this point, I know this sounds all edgy and whatever. I just don't, I don't fear death. Like death to me is like, well, if it happens, it fucking happens. So the only fear I had going into this was... If they can't perform the surgery, I won't be able to live as me. So I won't be living, which is no different than the fact that I was going to be not living in the first place. So I didn't have a lot of fear because I'd already kind of overcome the fear of not living, if that makes any sense. In your transition, what are some of the biggest hurdles that you've had to overcome and how did you get past those? See, that's a really tough question for me because... Like I said, it all kind of happened quickly, and it's mostly because I had the benefit of the VA being as... Actually, okay, the VA itself is not as progressive as you'd think, but Dr. Anna Craycraft, the doctor that we all kind of like, all, the, all of us trans women have uh, in the group, she's a very big advocate. She goes to bat for us all the time. So... I haven't, I haven't had to deal with any really big struggles as far as getting what I need because she has been the one to do all the fighting for me. So I'm very privileged in the fact that I didn't have to do any fighting. And I know there's a lot of trans women out there who don't have the right insurance, who don't have 
VA care who don't have the options that I do. So it's kind of hard for me to talk about the struggles I've been through because mm-hmm. mine have been minimal comparatively. I mean, there's a lot of people out there who don't have access to the medical care that I do. Um, what do you feel like you have been able to accomplish because of your transition? Oh, God damn it. <laughs> I think my biggest accomplishment has been teaching my kids that you can just be who you need to be. <clears throat> you know, don't be who you are because we tell you who you are. Like, be you because you're you. And that goes for anybody, not just my kids. Like, but especially my kids. God. Just be you. That's, that's, that's all the world needs of you. That's all the world needs. And when everyone tells you that, you know, you can't be, just be you anyway. That, like, I've learned that you, you have to be 100% you no matter what. I, I feel like I've been a good example for my kids. What's your favorite thing that you've learned through your transition? Uh, oh, it's not judge people. Because you never know who's going through a bad day. You never know what they're going through. You don't know what people are going through. And so I find myself being a much more forgiving person because of my transition. Because I realize that there's some days that you're just not going to have a good day. That shit's just not going to go well for you. That... You woke up thinking, like, today's the day. And before you left your driveway, like, you found out, nah, today's not the day. Mm-hmm. And it happens to all of us. So who am I to judge somebody else for their, like, bad behavior when I've done the same thing, I'm sure. What advice do you have to pass on to young and closeted trans people out there? There's, there's so so many facets to this this could be a whole college course unto itself but um you have to be you you can't hide who you are you have to be you and i know that it's going to be scary and you're going to get bullied a lot especially when you're in junior high and high school and maybe the generation coming now won't experience that i think that they have a better grasp on the way gender identity and gender is very fluid and very made by society I think they have a better grasp on gender than we do. But I do know that a lot of the kids out there have parents who are not accepting and who are going to raise kids who are not accepting. So be you, but do it in a safe way. Like don't ever put yourself in danger, but also don't cower down because it's gonna be hard. Because life is hard. Be you, but not at the expense of your physical health. Thanks for listening to this episode of The Transgender Show from the Transverse Network. Watch this show live Tuesday nights at twitch.tv slash the transverse. You can also find it and our other great shows at youtube.com slash the transverse. Be sure to follow our guest Katie on Instagram at Katie underscore May underscore K-A-T-G-U-R-L. If you love what we're doing and want to support the transverse and get access to exclusive content, you can do so by visiting patreon.com slash the transverse.